0: eleven of us gathered at the crack of dawn, a motley crew of seasoned hunters, each with our own stories etched onto weathered faces and calloused hands. We were embarking on a hunting trip like no other, deep into the untamed wilderness of Oklahoma. Our rifles gleamed in the morning light, a testament to our prowess and determination. As we ventured further into the remote wilderness, our senses sharpened, attuned to every rustle of leaves and fleeting shadow. The air grew heavy with anticipation, and a sense of foreboding washed over us. It was as if the forest itself held its breath, waiting for our first encounter. Days turned into nights, and with each passing moment, the weight of an unseen presence pressed upon us. The cryptid, an unknown entity lurking in the depths of the forest, haunted our every step. Whispered tales of its ferocity and insatiable hunger filled our campfire conversations, fueling both curiosity and fear. Then it began a hunter would vanish without a trace, leaving behind nothing but unanswered questions and a chilling silence that hung in the air. Fear gripped our hearts as the encounters grew more frequent and the cryptid reveled in our despair. One by one, our numbers dwindled, falling victim to the wrath of this supernatural predator. Desperation consumed us, and we realized the true nature of our foe, a dogman, a creature akin to the mythical werewolf, prowling through the darkness with lethal intent. The final hunter, battered and bloodied, stood alone against the relentless assault. He clutched his rifle tightly, determined to defy the odds. A fierce battle ensued, gunfire ripping through the stillness of the forest, but the dogman proved resilient, shrugging off the hunter's bullets. Just as the werewolf lunged forward, ready to deliver the final blow, it froze, sensing a presence in the distance. With a primal howl, it vanished into the shadows, retreating to the sanctuary of the woods. Moments later, a park ranger emerged from the depths of the forest, drawn by the echoing turmoil. With a mixture of relief and pain, he rushed to the injured hunter's side, offering solace and aid. It was a bittersweet victory. I'm Officer Miller, and I've had some extraordinary encounters in New London County while on patrol. It all started one night around midnight. I was sitting in my parked cruiser when, to my astonishment, I spotted a creature just fifteen feet away. It was large, covered in short dark hair, and completely devoid of any clothing or jewelry. But what truly caught my attention were its massive, gray eyes that emitted an eerie glow, like a flashlight cutting through the darkness. Several months later, I received information about an unrelated incident involving three missing individuals who were hunting in the same area where I had encountered the creature before. Determined to investigate further, I gathered a team and set up traps hoping to catch a glimpse or any evidence of its presence. Despite our efforts, the heavy rainfall hindered our search, and we came up empty-handed. Five weeks passed, and I had long forgotten about the incident when I received a phone call at home. It was the deputy sheriff in charge of the missing person's case, asking if I had witnessed anything unusual. Due to the persistent rain, I knew the creature wouldn't have left any traceable evidence. Nevertheless, I recounted what I had seen five weeks earlier, a towering figure measuring around seven to eight feet in height, with short dark hair and a face that was nothing short of grotesque. And those eyes, still vivid in my memory, glowed with a strange gray hue. During the summer of 1973, I heard another chilling account from Detective Bradson. He was called to investigate reports of an unknown animal slaughtering livestock. Initially presumed to be a wolf or coyote, it quickly became apparent that something far more mysterious was at play. As Bradson walked through the woods, he stumbled upon large tracks that led him into a dense swamp area, enveloped by thick vegetation. It was in that moment that an unsettling feeling washed over him, an eerie sensation of being watched. And in the distance, he caught sight of a pair of bright green eyes. Reacting instinctively, Bradson drew his gun and fired a warning shot into the air. But as quickly as the eyes appeared, they vanished, leaving him with a sense of impending danger. As darkness descended upon the surroundings, Bradson decided it was best to retreat. He couldn't shake the feeling that whatever lurked in those woods was observing his every move. The description he gave of the creature mirrored the one I had encountered in my own report, though his encounter occurred four years prior to mine. These unsettling events continued to baffle us leaving us with more questions than answers. What is this enigmatic being that roams our county? Is it merely a figment of our imagination or something far more tangible? As an officer dedicated to serving and protecting, it is my duty to uncover the truth behind these strange encounters, no matter how unnerving they may be. Dimly lit, cluttered with scientific equipment and specimen containers, the remote Iraqi lab is an eerie and foreboding place. The sound of machinery hums in the background. A group of scientists, huddled together in lab coats, move with purpose around a large glass enclosure in the center of the room. Inside the enclosure is a bizarre creature, resembling a hybrid between a wolf and a reptile. Dr. Hassan, a middle-aged scientist with graying hair, observes the creature intently, a mix of excitement and trepidation in his eyes. We've done it. The perfect specimen. Our own creation. Dr. Ali, a younger scientist with an air of uncertainty, approaches Dr. Hassan, casting a worried glance at the creature. But what if something goes wrong? What if it gets out? Hassan waves off Dr. Ali's concerns dismissively. We have taken every precaution, my dear Ali. Our creation will be contained within these walls. Suddenly, an alarm blares. Flashing red lights fill the room. Panic ensues. What's happening? said Hassan. Dr. Ali frantically replied, It's escaped. The creature has breached containment. The scientists scramble, desperately trying to regain control. The creature, now free, prowls the lab with a savage and calculated intent. What have we unleashed? One by one, the scientists become prey to the unstoppable creature. It lunges, claws, and tears through their bodies, leaving a trail of carnage in its wake. The lab descends into chaos as screams of pain and terror echo through the air. Few days later, in the blistering heat of the Al-Hajara Desert in Iraq, beads of sweat glistened on my forehead as I, Jocko King, led my highly trained Navy SEAL team on Operation Mirage. Our mission was to infiltrate a suspicious research facility in Iraq, rumored to be a covert weapons development site. The stakes were high, and failure was not an option. As we trekked through the unforgiving desert, our bodies pushed to the limits by the scorching sun, we remained vigilant, aware of the hostile Iraqi forces that could be lurking in the shadows. Our camouflaged gear provided little relief from the relentless heat, but we pressed on, knowing that the fate of many lives depended on our success. Finally, we arrived at the facility, its nondescript exterior belying the secrets hidden within. With calculated precision, we breached the compound, ready to face whatever lay ahead. To our astonishment, The facility appeared deserted, devoid of any human presence. Confusion gnawed at our minds as we cautiously proceeded, scanning our surroundings for any signs of life. Then the unnerving truth revealed itself. Littering the corridors were the lifeless bodies of over a hundred scientists and doctors, their vacant stairs forever frozen in a haunting tableau. The silence was oppressive as if the air itself held its breath in anticipation. We couldn't fathom the horrors that had unfolded within these walls, but we had little time to dwell on it. Suddenly, a chilling growl resonated through the empty halls. We snapped into high alert, our senses heightened, ready to face any adversary that dared to challenge us. Emerging from the shadows was a creature beyond our wildest imagination, a cryptid, resembling a hulking Bigfoot with fur that blended seamlessly with the desert sands and razor-sharp black talons reminiscent of an eagle's claws. Fear coursed through our veins, but we had been trained to face the unknown to confront danger head-on. The cryptid lunged at us with a ferocity that matched its monstrous appearance. It moved with unnatural speed, leaving us scrambling to defend ourselves. In the chaos, it claimed the lives of a few of my fellow seals, their sacrifice etching a permanent ache in my heart. Yet, we refused to surrender. We fought back with every ounce of strength and skill we possessed bullets pierced the creature's flesh, and the deafening blasts of gunfire reverberated through the facility. Our determination proved unwavering, even as exhaustion threatened to consume us. And finally, we succeeded in bringing down the cryptid, its monstrous form collapsing in a heap before us. As the creature took its last breath, an inexplicable phenomenon occurred its lifeless body disintegrated into a swirling mist, dissipating into the air as if it had never existed. The implications of this encounter were far-reaching, and our minds spun with questions that remained unanswered. Inside the facility, we established contact with the nearest us military base, informing them of our triumph over the conquered facility. Our voices trembled with a mixture of relief, exhaustion, and a lingering sense of unease. We had accomplished our mission, but the memory of that cryptid, the horror we had witnessed, would forever haunt our dreams. I served in the SAF as a combat medic and was tasked to lead a medical support team for a training course in Brunei. Due to one of my medics falling sick out in the field, I had the privilege of taking his place and spending the night with an officer and a warrant officer W.O. on a narrow ridgeline in Mount Biang, which was apparently a navigation exercise checkpoint for the trainees. As night fell, We were warned by the officer to refrain from sleeping in the middle of the ridgeline as we ran the risk obstructing the path of any wandering spirits. Out of respect, we took the advice and constructed our hammocks as close to the sides of the ridgeline as we dared. Being a light sleeper, I kept being roused by the sound of the occasional heavy footstep walking by crunching on the dead leaves and sticks on the ground. The footsteps sounded human, but at that point of time at night, nobody was supposed to navigate the mountain in pitch black. The next morning, my auditory experience was validated when all three of us found fresh tracks, too big to belong to any animal, on the ground that appeared in inconsistent intervals. I was walking through the vast field, my footsteps crunching on the dry grass beneath my boots. The sun was setting, casting an orange glow across the landscape. As a park ranger, I had spent countless hours patrolling these woods, ensuring the safety of both the visitors and the wildlife that called this place home. I had a routine, a familiar path I followed every evening. But this time something felt off. The air was thick with an eerie silence, broken only by the distant chirping of birds. As I approached the tree line, a sense of unease settled upon me, like a shiver running down my spine. And then it happened. A bone-chilling, raptor-like scream pierced through the air, cutting through the tranquillity of the evening. The sound reverberated through the trees, resonating deep within me. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest, my senses heightened. I stood there, immobile, for what felt like an eternity. The seconds stretched into minutes, and my mind raced with a whirlwind of possibilities. Was it a wild animal? A prankster playing tricks on me? Or something else entirely? With trembling hands, I reached for my shotgun, fingers fumbling as I loaded a shell into the chamber. The weight of the weapon provided some semblance of comfort, a small assurance in the face of the unknown. I slowly made my way to a nearby towering tree, its ancient branches reaching out like skeletal fingers against the fading light. Leaning my back against its sturdy trunk, I sat down, my eyes scanning the surrounding area, searching for any signs of movement or danger. But there was nothing. The woods remained still, devoid of life. The only sounds now were the soft whispers of the wind and the rustling leaves. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that unseen eyes were trained on me from the shadows. Time ticked by, the minutes merging into an indefinite stretch of apprehension. The night gradually enveloped the land, casting an impenetrable darkness upon the trees. Still, I remained, alert and vigilant. Hours passed, and the moon cast its faint glow over the landscape. No more screams, no more unsettling noises disrupted the calm. With a mix of relief and curiosity, I cautiously rose from my spot and continued my patrol. As I made my way back through the field, a nagging sense of unease lingered within me. I couldn't shake the feeling that whatever had emitted that bone-chilling scream was still out there, lurking in the shadows. But for now, all I could do was carry on, my footsteps echoing through the night and hope that tomorrow would bring answers to the mystery that had unfolded in the woods. My dad went hunting out in the Pennsylvania game lands and set up in a tree very deep in the woods. It was about noon, but the area was a bit dark from the shade of the thick forest. He described it as a boggy, swampy part. He noticed a storm was about to roll in and figured it'd be too dark or rainy to hang around much longer. So as he's thinking about leaving, a ten-pointer just rolls up within a very close range. I don't know what is considered close, but he shoots him, the deer drops dead. That was the point of him telling the story. Where it gets weird is as soon as he shot the deer, A man walked right past the deer. He didn't look at it. He didn't pay any attention to it. He wasn't wearing hunting apparel. The area isn't one for hiking since, well, it's a game land, and he was deep in the boggy woods. My friend's dad swears there is absolutely no way the man didn't see a deer drop dead in the direction he was walking in. The man was no more than five yards away from the deer as he walked by it. And just like that, the man seemed to disappear and quickly as he appeared. He still continues to hunt. I'm not sure I would have, but I don't hunt. It was a warm summer evening and I, Jocko, sat on my worn wooden porch the wicker chair creaking slightly under my weight. My eyes scanned the surrounding wilderness as my hand gripped a cold beer. Retired life was a stark contrast to my days as a navy seal, quiet, tranquil, predictable. But sometimes the past has a way of resurfacing when you least expect it. As I stared at the setting sun, My mind took me back to a mission I hadn't thought about in years. A covert operation, we were a team of five, the best the SEALs had to offer. Our assignment, to explore a sunken artifact discovered at the bottom of the ocean, its origin unknown and possibly alien. I could still feel the chilling bite of the ocean as we plunged into the icy darkness. We swam towards the ominous shape of a craft lurking in the depths, the hull gleaming faintly in our torchlight. As we made our way inside, our flashlights cutting through the abyss, we realized we weren't alone. The creatures came out of nowhere. They moved through the water with an elegance that belied their gruesome appearance, their bodies human-like but horribly distorted. They watched us with vacant eyes, seeming to blend with the shadows. Our rifles were useless under the pressure of the ocean, and the creatures came upon us with a predatory hunger, and then we found them ten bodies, suspended in a twisted form of stasis, their lifeless eyes staring back at us. It was a sight that still haunted my dreams, a grim reminder of the fate that awaited us. I remember the sharp sting of betrayal when we finally found the artifact. It was a fake, a chunk of bronze cunningly disguised. Our hopes were shattered, and with them our morale. But there was no time to grieve, we had to escape. Yet the craft was a labyrinth, its halls echoing with the cries of our unseen enemies. I fought, driven by pure survival instinct. But one by one I watched my brothers fall. By some miracle, or perhaps some cruel twist of fate, I was the only one to escape, emerging from the depths to gasp the sweet, life-giving air. My triumph was short-lived. They came for me, men in suits, faces hidden behind dark sunglasses. Their words were cold and uncompromising. The operation was secret they said. I was to never speak of it. The weight of their words sunk deeper than any ocean. I took a long sip of my beer, the bitter taste grounding me back to reality. I may have retired from the Navy SEALs, but the memories, they never truly retired from me. Last fall, In the vast expanse of bridger teton National Forest, I embarked on an unforgettable journey with a group of friends. Our road trip was not centered around hunting or any particular purpose. Rather, it was a venture fueled by our shared love for exploration and the great outdoors. Our destination was set, and with a friend en route to Jackson Hole Airport, We secured a coveted spot in the Spread Creek dispersed camping area, nestled within the embrace of nature's tranquility. As we set up camp and made preparations, a fleeting thought crossed our minds, urging us to ascend the hill and seek solace in higher grounds. However, a collective decision swayed us to remain in our chosen site, content with the natural beauty that surrounded us. Little did we know that this choice would lead us on a path intertwined with the enigmatic and the unknown. Returning to our camp after retrieving our friend from the airport, we were greeted by an unexpected visitor, a sizable dogman-like creature, bipedal with dark fur, emerged from the very spot we had claimed as our own. A mix of awe, trepidation, and respect washed over us, as we observed the majestic creature in its habitat. It was a first-time encounter for most of us, a moment that left us slightly uneasy as we settled into our tents for the night. The following day dawned, and as we began the process of packing up our belongings, a group of National Forest Rangers made their way up the trail towards us. Their arrival brought with it a sense of urgency as they informed us that the campground would be closed shortly after our departure. Their words hung in the air, hinting at an incident that had taken place nearby, but they divulged no further details. Intrigued and unnerved by the ranger's cryptic message, we couldn't help but wonder what lay concealed just beyond the ridge. Little did we know that the missing girl, whose disappearance had garnered national attention and ignited countless headlines, had been found merely a quarter mile from our campsite. The intertwining paths of chance and fate had brought us to a place where the echoes of tragedy resonated unbeknownst to us until that moment. As we departed from that serene haven, our hearts heavy with the weight of the unknown, we carried with us an indelible reminder of the fragility of life and the enduring mysteries that lie within the realm of the wilderness. Okay, you might not believe me, but me and my two other friends were staying the night at, let's just call him, Jerry's house. We were talking about going out at night time to see anything because our town has a lot of scary stories and legends. We went out, and we were all on edge, and we heard a couple sounds that scared us most likely just radiator noises and branches cracking leading to us to run inside. We went to Jerry's room, and we all looked out Jerry's window. We didn't see anything for a while, but when my other friend will call him Bodhi, said he saw something outside peeking from the side of a tree. We all looked at the direction he was looking, but me and Jerry couldn't see anything. Then Bodhi refused to look out again because the sight of the thing was burned into his mind. I couldn't see it, so Bodhi described it to me. After I looked back through the window, I saw it myself. I can only describe it as extremely skinny to the point you could see its bones, and it had an extremely bulbous head that was large enough to be bigger than its entire body. This is what led me to think it was the Dover Demon. Jerry went to get his binoculars, but couldn't find them. We tried to take a picture of it, but the only time the camera would focus, the monster wasn't there. In fact, the entire tree was missing. It was there for a while after when trying to find something else to get proof, but it left soon after. I know the camera not working is kind of a cliche excuse, but I put it on everything we really saw. it. This happened to me and my friend around 9.30 p.m. on a Saturday, if I recall. I live in an area where not much goes on and is pretty safe for the most part. Anyways, me and my friend are dumb teenagers, both male, that love urban exploring. Our favorite sites to explore are tunnels. Around 7.30 p.m. one night. Me and my friend were exploring some sites around the park two blocks away from our house, full of small tunnels to explore. We felt a little weird because we felt as if we weren't alone. There were a couple of disc golfers, but we had just watched them leave. So at this point the park was completely empty. My friend and I were just exiting a small tunnel to get back to the park as we were waiting for the disc golfers to leave so we could go to the next secret spot, which were train tracks that are sometimes in use. To get into the train tracks, you have to go through an off-path in the woods that has a few curves, so it was hard to see. My friend lead the way. A few seconds later, I thought I had lost him, so I yelled his name. Here's when things got weird. I heard what seemed almost like a distant yell or shout from the train tracks. I thought he had sped up, so I jogged up ahead and eventually ran into my buddy that was just around a curvy turn. I asked him if he was okay, and he replied yes like nothing had happened. A little suspicion ran through my mind, so I asked him if he had yelled at me from the tracks and had come back to get me shockingly he didn't he was waiting for me just at the turn and he also said he heard the yell well my friend and i are idiots instead of going back we quietly continued to the tracks when we got up to the bridge with the train tracks there was absolutely no one or nothing up there although i felt like we were being watched from the trees or something I let my friend know about this feeling and we quickly stopped throwing rocks into the creek and headed back to the park. I knew something was wrong as we were leaving, I just couldn't put my finger on it. We played around on the basketball court at the park before we left. Due to the creepy vibe, my friend and I decided it was best to take the main road back instead of the shortcut through the woods that led to our neighborhood. It was around 9.30 now, my friend and I were talking about what we should do all night, because he was spending the night. The park has a soccer field across the street from it, so it has two gravel parking lots that are sorta hidden by the trees. As we were walking past one of the gravel lots, I felt what seemed like a warning from my body. I passed it off as nothing, but as we crossed the street from the gravel lot, here's where things started getting really creepy. I could see someone come out of the shadows of the gravel lot. They had appeared to be wearing very dark clothing and a hoodie to cover their face. I was throwing red flags everywhere. The way that they came out of nowhere was so subtle and perfectly timed. It felt as if they were waiting for us to cross to start following us. My friend hadn't seemed to notice the strange figure. I told him to jog up ahead a little. He seemed confused, so I pulled him close to me and told him what had just happened. He seemed anxious, so we picked up the pace a little. Every once in a while, I would look over my shoulder to see where he was. Every time I looked he would be at least three feet closer to us. I could hear the figure's eerie breathing. Thank God we were close to an alley shortcut that no one really uses but me and my friends. To get to it, you go up a little hill left of the street. I saw this as an opportunity. I mumbled to my friend, use the alley. He quickly nodded yes. The second we made it to the hill, We casually jogged up ahead to the alley. I told my friend to wait for a second. I peeked over to the street from the alley, and there I saw them. What appeared to be a man in his thirties was making his way towards us very quickly. I could see his eyes now. They were staring directly at me with an evil look. I told my friend to bolt up the damn alley to his house, which was connected to the alley. We had never ran so damn fast. We made it up to the street and take a sharp turn to the left. We had lost him at this point. We sprinted through his front door and locked every single entrance. We turned off all the lights and hid for what felt like an hour. Thank God, he was nowhere to be seen. I have never seen this person ever again, and I hope not to. When I was a kid, around seven years old, my grandma would often take my sister and me swimming at the river. I can remember one incident as clear as day, and it still sends shivers down my spine. Grandma, always engrossed in her Facebook scrolling, rarely paid close attention to our antics. My sister and I weren't accomplished swimmers, yet we loved the water. One day, while we were splashing around, a group of older kids approached us. They dared us to venture into the deep end of the river, and despite our limited swimming abilities, we took up the challenge driven by youthful naivety. As I was wading deeper into the river, I saw what I thought was my sister struggling in the water. But something was off. Even though my sister was smaller than me, the figure in the water seemed larger, more ominous. Despite the fear creeping into my heart, I instinctively wanted to help. But as I took a step toward her, the riverbed dropped off sharply into the deep end, and I found myself drowning. Just when I was sure I wouldn't make it, The older kids yanked me back to the shallower water, saving me from what could have been a tragic accident. Meanwhile, my grandma was blissfully unaware of the near catastrophe, her eyes still fixed on her phone screen. It's the aftermath of the incident that still haunts me. My sister had somehow reappeared, safe and unharmed, oblivious to the horrifying scene that had just transpired. But the thing that I can't shake off is the fact that the struggling figure I saw in the water was not my sister. Not only did the size not match up, but the cold, unblinking death stare that she, or rather, it gave me is still etched in my memory. And its disappearance was just as sudden and inexplicable as its appearance. There was no way my sister could have swum that fast or disappeared that quickly. So, what did I see in the river that day? A trick of the light, a figment of my imagination, or something more sinister? I guess I'll never know. But one thing's for sure, it wasn't my sister. Growing up, I was always drawn to the mysterious, the eerie, and the unexplainable. Cryptids, paranormal activities, and monsters that lurked in the shadows held a fascinating allure for me. Much of this curiosity was stoked by a story my father would often tell me. The tale is an important piece of my childhood and a kernel for my interest in the supernatural. My father grew up in the scenic expanses of Oregon, a place replete with lush woods and towering mountains. One day, while he was still a young boy, he accompanied his father, my grandfather, on a trek into the forest. This particular expedition left a deep impression on my father, and became the subject of a story he would recount time and again. As they delved deeper into the verdant wilderness, they were suddenly assaulted by a nauseating stench. It wasn't the earthy smell of decay, or the sharp tang of wild animals. This was something else, something unfamiliar and unsettling. As they continued, they heard the ominous sound of something large moving through the trees and brush ahead of them. The source of the sound was hidden from view, concealed by the dense foliage, but they could hear it moving, the crunch of branches underfoot, the rustle of leaves. Then, just as abruptly as it started, the noise ceased, replaced by the usual sounds of the forest. Driven by curiosity and perhaps a touch of fear, they decided to investigate. Upon reaching the spot, they were astounded to see branches broken off at a height that suggested a tall creature had passed through. It was as if something enormous, something taller than a man, had ambled through the woods, leaving only snapped branches and a lingering stench as evidence of its presence. Though the story might seem thin on specifics, the mystery it presented was enough to enthrall my young mind. Every time my father would recount it, I'd hang on to his every word, visualizing the scene and imagining what the creature could have been. Every time I looked at the sprawling forests and majestic mountains of the Pacific Northwest, I would feel a twinge of excitement. It seemed all too plausible that something could be hiding in those vast, unexplored areas, and to this day, the possibility of uncovering such hidden creatures and unraveling their mysteries continues to stoke my fascination for the unknown. A friend and I came across this amber-eyed creature on April 15, 2023, in Pattison, Texas Waller County. It was around 11.30pm when we cut through Morton Road. We backed out of that dirt road so fast, and then drove south on Durkin and the left onto Royal Road, while the entire time looking over to the open field with our spotlight and the one rifle in the truck. Once we made a right onto 362 and headed south, we began feeling a bit more relaxed. We then took it all the way south to 359 and then made a left on Highway 90 and didn't stop till we made it to our friend's house. We were coming from Patterson, Texas, where one of my other friends lives. We also like to go through that patch on Morton Road during the day because it is like off-roading. We originally thought of heading to Royal High School on Royal Road, but we instead decided to turn left and off-road at night when we drove past Morton Road. It is the reason why we were so chilled about coming across what we thought was a large dog till it turned around and stood on two legs and growled at us. Its growl was deep, but low, it rattled the entire truck. One of my friends told me that the only thing they remember was the sound it made while breathing, which was that of a horse. My buddy's truck is lifted, and usually, when I stand in front of the hood, it is around the high part of my chest. I'm five feet eight, but when this thing stood up, you could see most of the waist area, so it had to be taller than me. I can't give an exact measurement, because I just don't know. All I know is that it wasn't a bear. I've seen black bears before. The spotlight caught it, and it looked like my buddy's German Shepherd with amber-looking eyes. Maybe it was a big koi dog, or koi wolf, or a bear with mange, but it was pretty tall and wide. It happened so quick so we put it in reverse and got the hell out of there and drove all the way to Katy without stopping anywhere. Then we barricaded ourselves in it with r R-15s and shotguns, sitting there in the middle of the dark with our backs to each other for the rest of the night. We didn't leave the house until midday on Sunday to check the dashboard camera which had recorded over the entire incident the previous night. Our cell phones recorded nothing but jumble and my buddy's dog wouldn't come near the truck as it kept whimpering around it with its tail behind its legs. The dashboard camera recorded all the data on Sunday. We went through it and it was from when the truck was parked at our friend's house. The cell phone quality was so bad we erased it. I dropped my phone on the floor of the truck and didn't find it until Sunday afternoon. It is not something we were planning for like most of the videos you see on the web. Monday morning came around, and we all call in sick because we refused to get out of the house until the sun was out. This obviously upset our parents, who thought we were being irresponsible, and we finally grew the courage to return to Morton Road on Monday afternoon. Our six trucks enter Morton Road off Durkin Road with high-powered semi-assault weapons, shotguns, and hunting rifles. We didn't find any tracks, either, which is weird, because it had rained heavily the past few days, so the ground was soft, and there was standing water on Morton Road. The only thing we found was this perverse stench like something had died mixed with metallic smell blood and urine pneumonia. The dogs we brought with us, two German Shepherds and two others, were all whimpering nervously around the site like they didn't want to be there. After the incident, I spent the rest of April just reading everything I could about Dogmen Encounters. My other three friends don't want to talk about it either, and one broke up with his girlfriend of three years because he just refused to spend the weekend hiking with her through the attic's reservoir hiking trails. They got back together after we were able to get him to open up about it, but I'm the only one that has put this out to the public. It has been a month, and I still refuse to be out later than sundown. I don't leave the house early in the morning anymore to go to the gym at 5am. In fact, I have changed my life around completely, and that includes no more before bed walks at night with the dog. I have installed security bars on all my first floor windows, added spotlights to my entire home, and places better security cameras. I also no longer drive through country roads even during the day, especially by myself because I feel exposed. Last week I refused to go fishing on the Brazos River and turned down heading for the weekend to Lake Conroe. I've always wanted to go fishing at the end of East Matagorda Bay, But to get there one would have to off-road on a 4x4 west from Matagorda Beach on a dirt trail for about 15 miles. Yet after this experience, I no longer feel safe. I just want to go back to being ignorant about the things that go bumping about at night.